Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Longtime listeners, you know the drill. This episode is part of a much longer series. To be sure you get the whole story, we recommend that you jump back and start from episode one. Also, we want to invite any of our thousands of listeners who still use Facebook to join our friendly show group, which currently only has a couple of hundred fun-loving members. Just search for the show's name. As is our recently inaugurated custom, we will briefly celebrate one of our Patreon patrons, a group who are not only the bee's knees, but we have it on good authority, they are also the cat's pajamas. Once per episode, we mention one of these worthies by name and suggest his or her involvement in a conspiracy of our own devising. For example, Two-Ton Ted from Teddington, who has it on good authority that their greatest rival, Three-Ton Tabby from Tabington, has been wearing lead underwear at her weigh-ins, thus bringing all of her records into question. We know we were scandalized, too. If you'd like your name or your pseudonym to join the role of honor at the top of a future show, just sign up at patreon.com forward slash the paranoid strain at the $5 tier. We thank you kindly, both for listening and for supporting. Finally, whether you do social media or not, please do drop us a line. Tell us what you think of the show. We're open to suggestions, criticisms, and recipes. Send them all to the paranoid strain, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Okay, let's get going. Paranoid Strain Orchestra, hit it. On to my other 1990s prophecy obsession, I do want to mention one last ad break that I heard at the end of this particular episode, which I simply have to share. It's like a lurid, super-fundamentalist version of the leering, you-won't-believe-how-shocking-this-shit-is marketing pioneered by fellow 1990s icon, the Girls Gone Wild mail-order girl-next-door series of softcore porn VHS tapes. Those of you who remember those commercials, listen to the following and see if you get the analogy. Shocking. Amazing heresy and blasphemy. Using over 100 video clips, you will see large, well-known ministers making shocking statements contrary to the Bible. Not just simple doctrinal errors, but open, abomination, heresy, apostasy, even blasphemy. So bad, you'll have to see it to believe it. See some of your favorite, most popular pastors seduce you with lying signs and wonders. The biggest names teach a false Christ. Yes, it is true. Your mouth will fall open. God exposes the worst sins of the Bible in these DVDs called Error in the Church. Worse than the Old Testament, nation-killing sins in America today. You won't be disappointed 
you'll be furious, beyond angry. I thank God that Leslie showed me these shocking errors, and I would never have known it or believed it if I had not actually seen it. This will keep Prophecy Club and you from falling into error. Don't miss it. The fantastic offer of error in the church. Call today and give a $50 gift, and we will immediately ship you the first three DVDs. Air in the Church, 785-266-1112. Air in the Church, 785-266-1112. Call today. The Prophecy Club was pretty sweet, but it wasn't the best of the best. That title goes to the incredibly strange broadcasts of Newswatch Magazine and its host-slash-preacher, David J. Smith. You can tell simply by comparing their theme songs that Newswatch is unbeatable. Here's the Prophecy Club's bouncy but rather generic opening. Welcome to the Prophecy Club. And here is a heavily edited version of the fucking four-minute-plus opening epic jam that kicked off each and every Newswatch magazine sermon. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he said, Now here's a prophecy, my friends, that in the latter days It's in Matthew 24, and it's right now at the door of our lives. shall pass away but these words will never pass away and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then shall the end come Newswatch magazine presents The analysis of world news in the light of Bible prophecy with David J. Smith. David J. Smith doesn't have fucking time for your stupid introductions. He jumps straight into explaining how we can know for certain that this country is cursed. When you read Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 16 through the rest of the chapter, it shows undeniably that the nation would fall apart. There would be internal infiltration. There would be external vices that would be placed upon the nation. And that nation would eventually crumble and fall. 
I'll begin to unravel some of these things that are happening to the United States of America today because of those curses that have been placed upon this country. David J. Smith is what you would get if you fed an artificial intelligence every publication ever issued by the John Birch Society, followed by a pile of Bible prophecy and a bucket of Adderall. I knew fuck all about his background in the heady pre-internet days of my core obsession, but shout out to a thorough if rather GeoCities-looking website called Field Guide to the Wild World of Religion, which hipped me to a fascinating tidbit. Turns out David J. Smith was the one-time protege of none other than Herbert W. Armstrong. Who? You remember the guy from a little while back in this series of shows? who confidently predicted the end of the world like four times from the 1940s to the 70s, but was still on his shtick back in the 80s when we heard from him? Oh, yeah, vaguely. Well, David J. was the Padawan to Armstrong's Qui-Gon Jinn, till they had a falling out back in the 80s. According to the field guide, it's because Smith believed Armstrong's organization had been infiltrated by the evil Jesuits, like the Catholic Order, not the podcast host. Anyway, Smith and Newswatch magazine went independent, eventually coming to understand that in the last days their ministry would be the gathering place for the Lord's elect. Meaning that for some reason the Lord wants his favorite people to wait out the tribulation in a place called Waxahachie, Texas. I understand this is not interesting to anyone except me, and therefore I will refrain from showing you my Mint Collection DJS rookie card, even though it's like, really cool. Anyway, rather than explain or contextualize the ravings of the Dave Meister, I'm just going to stitch a bunch of excerpts together. How many clips do you have? Like a dozen? I can't believe you re-listened to so many hours of this garbage for the show. Oh, you don't understand, Dana. All of this shit, which was originally broadcast in 1996, so it's almost guaranteed that I heard it at the time, as I was so addicted to this show I probably should have been examined. Anyway... All of what you're about to hear, which hits on pretty much every single wacko anti-government religious conspiracy theory that made the decade so much fun for assholes like me, including specific references to the end coming in the year 2000, all of what you're about to hear, all of it, comes from one randomly chosen 90-minute episode. Seriously, it was just the first one I happened to look up on YouTube. This man is the Miles Davis of conspiracy prophesying. And I'm so glad I have the power to force all of you to listen to him. With no further ado then, David, do your thing. They're talking about everyone on earth, every government needs to be teaching and training, I call it brainwashing, their young people to become world citizens or global citizens. What is sustainable development? When you read all the literature put out by these people, it's nothing more than fancy words for the redistribution of the wealth of the world, just like the Marxists said in the Communist Manifesto, that they have to take from the rich and give to the poor to make everybody in the world equal. That's why they pass NAFTA. Not so that it would increase or build up Mexico, but so that it would redistribute the wealth from the United States to Mexico, lower our level of standing, and raise theirs in Mexico until we finally became equally poor. Quote, campaigns to raise public awareness of the challenges of world citizenship must make use of the full range of media and the arts. What is media, radio, 
television, everything that has to do with listening and hearing. So they're going to use the mass media where everybody comes in and parks themselves immediately after they come in from work and sits down, turns on the tube, and begins to watch. And little by little, everything is world citizenship, world this, world that. It's not the United States anymore. Watch closely and you'll see how subtly they use these subliminal advertisements in order to brainwash our mind into a world community. So Minnesota was the very first state and a mayor of that city was the very first one that declared their citizens to be citizens of the world. So am I making this up? Have I been paranoia when I've been preaching about Bible prophecy and the United States of America is about to surrender its sovereignty and we're going to go into a world government? I don't think so. How in the world could this man write that they would give into the hands of an international body control of the weather unless there are machinery that is in place today, discoveries by the Soviet Union and the United States, and they took it right out of Tesla's 900 patents in which they can control the weather to create weather war, drought, famines at will, whether they can make hurricanes and tornadoes at will. They can create earthquakes wherever they want. Why would they say this? Unless it's a reality. And it is. They wanted to create a world currency. Does this sound like Revelation 13, verse 16 to 18 to you? Where no man will be able to buy or sell unless he has the mark no one will be able to buy or sell unless the world currency is in your possession. The United States of America is the number one contributor, yet the United Nations organization is run by anti-Christian, anti-God personnel. They're working for the dismemberment of the United States and to take our national sovereignty and to make a global religion in which Christianity would be merged with pagan religions. And if you weren't a part of the world religion, you would be an outcast from that system. To actually create the beast system and sustain it for the purpose of eventually killing some of us, encamping others in their concentration camps. I've talked many times about how they created AIDS, man-made virus in the laboratory. They created other types of viruses and biological and chemical weapons. This was a part of the lowering of the population and introducing man-made agents into society that our systems cannot reject. Notice what they said. The federal government considers people to be a biological resource that must be managed to protect the ecosystems. Did you know you're a biological resource? You're not a human being. That's why when they take over the world, they already have said that human beings will be work units. Right now in Austin, Texas, a man bought a piece of land, had one tree on it. He started to build an office. They said, no, you can't. It comes under the Wetlands Act of the United Nations. 
They looked up in the file and said, this property says that there may sometime in the future be a bird that may about to become extinct and land and build a nest there. So we can't let you disturb the habitat. National legislation gives states police powers to control human activities. End of quote. You believe it doesn't exist? There it is. There is a government coming. They're going to own your property, my property, and if you want to go out and put a flower in the ground without personal written authorization from them, you can go to jail. The dumbed-down America that doesn't even know that international communism and perestroiki was nothing more than a front so that they could retool themselves and prepare for the final push by the year 2000. And so they've lulled the United States of America to sleep. When you study their literature, you find out they believe that there is an individual called Lucifer who is overseeing the evolutionary progress of mankind. And now we're headed for the next phase of human evolution in which there will be the age of Aquarius, a golden age when there will be peace all over the world and Lucifer will send his light to the world. God is having a gathering himself and he's going to bring people together and they're going to be a light to this last generation before the year 2000 or during the last three and a half years. How he will focus and how he will achieve it is his business. He's God. He can do anything he wants. When this begins to happen and there is no food available, do you think they're going to be so loving and kind they're going to invite you into the White House to have dinner? I don't think so. I think they're going to gleefully watch us starve to death on the streets because they have to reduce the world's population. And because it is Lucifer or Satan the devil, his religious belief that is being fostered upon the world and he has told the world that we're nothing but animals. And it's survival of the fittest. And if you and I are not a part of the fittest, we don't survive. And that we just die out, we'll turn back into something else. It's called pantheism. You don't really die, you just become a part of creation. Somewhere else, you're dust somewhere, or plant food, or become cat food. Who knows what? But you and I, we don't really die. We're just recycled. Please tell me you're finished. I am spent. But holy shit, did you hear all of that? NAFTA, the UN, world citizenship replacing national sovereignty, our old pal, the mark of the beast, AIDS was deliberately created, they're going to keep you from building on your land to save the environment and a bunch of fucking birds, communism's faking us out with this whole Soviet collapse thing and it's going to conquer the US by the year 2000, the hippie age of Aquarius is a devil plot, they're going to starve us or feed us cat food or some shit, the US is partnering with former Soviet states to train invading armies to enslave US citizens, and our old friend the harp station is going to shake, rattle, Enroll. See, like, what was it? Episode six or something. Anyway, the chemtrails and the harp episode for more on this Alaskan weather research station that the nuts think can cause earthquakes and hurricanes. It's in the RSS feed. So you understand why I was obsessed? To make a strained analogy to a brilliant recently Oscar-winning film, Newswatch magazine was the everything bagel at the center of my conspiracy universe, sucking in every stupid idea and spitting it back out in some sort of unstructured free jazz format. It was amazing. But of course, much like Woodstock, I guess you had to be there.
I think I have dramatically overmade my point that the 90s were a fertile breeding ground for the conspiracist end-of-the-world thinking that would eventually translate over the decades into ideas like the storm that QAnon fans keep expecting any day now. But the 90s were also the jumping-off point for some other trends that feed directly into the paranoid Q worldview. The first of those was the concept of the New World Order. It's a new world The idea of a new world order, or at least words and sentiments to that effect, have a long history in the U.S., predating, in fact, the founding of the country. In the original sense in which the concept entered our young proto-nation's consciousness, it was the idea that the revolutionary struggle for self-government and representation was in a sense the struggle of all mankind, both present and future, to chart a new way for itself. Take, for example, this quote from Tom Paine's incredibly influential pre-revolutionary pamphlet, Common Sense. The cause of America is in a great measure the cause of all mankind. It is not the concern of a day, a year, or an age. Posterity are virtually involved in the contest, and will be more or less affected, even to the end of time, by the proceedings now. These sentiments are thick on the ground in the era. Not to belabor, but here's old Ben Franklin. Our revolution is an important event for the advantage of mankind in general. This excitement about inaugurating a new paradigm for humanity as a whole drove Charles Thompson, who had served as secretary for the Continental Congress and who co-designed the Great Seal of the United States, featuring that eye floating above a pyramid that has freaked out generations of conspiracy types. Yes, and perhaps the only thing that freaks them out more than that graphic are the two slogans that Thompson added to the seal. Anuit Keptis, which roughly translates to Providence Approves of Our Undertaking, and the more germane to our purposes, Novus Ordo Seclorum. Let me guess. A new world order? Close. It's more like a new order of the ages. But certainly that distinction is mostly lost on conspiracists. These mottos didn't draw any ire, though, until we reached the 20th century, when the increasing influence of the United States and its eventual superpower status ended up embroiling our once very domestically focused government and populace in the affairs of the world at large. We got some useful information out of er-conspiracy jester Robert Anton Wilson's Encyclopedia of Conspiracy Topics, Everything is Under Control, which traces the term back to the 19-teens, when it was used to describe the views of American diplomat and advisor to President Wilson, Colonel Edward M. House. House, whose military rank was honorary, nonetheless had the ear of Wilson and heavily influenced that man's decision to push for a League of Nations in the wake of World War I. It's also true that House believed in a unified world government as a goal that human societies should work toward, though the total failure of the Wilson administration and House's own efforts to get the United States to join the very League that Wilson had proposed could maybe be seen as a sign that any conspiracy you want to allege House was attempting was not exactly a major threat to American sovereignty. Though, of course, the conspiracy believers think it was only a 30-year pause and that the U.S. membership in the post-World War II United Nations is a fulfillment of House's evil plans to form a God-hating, one-world, mark-of-the-beast government. And certainly, they have some fodder to feed that point of view. For example, the socialist-leaning writer H.G. Wells, famous for his dystopia of hedonism and eugenics, Brave New World, was so horrified by the rise of Nazis that as World War II dawned, he wrote a non-fiction pay-in to the idea of a unified world titled, well, guess. The term appeared often enough in the intervening decades to keep it alive as the object of various paranoid observers' greatest apprehensions about the political future. 
But for our era, the real jumping-off point for New World Order fever was a speech given by George Bush. Oh, that totally makes sense. Launching the Iraq War, overseeing a financial crisis, losing to a charismatic young Democrat. He must have been a perfect foe for the conspiracy theorists, especially since he was in charge during 9-11. No, sorry, not that one. Though weirdly, everything except the 9-11 part actually applies to both. I mean, the early 90s recession wasn't exactly a crisis, but on some level their presidencies are weirdly similar. Anyway, no, the villain of the conspiracist's fever dreams isn't the amiable warmonger doofus, but rather the cultured former VP and head of the CIA, George Herbert Walker Bush. And specifically, this one phrase he uttered during a speech to the Joint Houses of Congress a month after Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990. A new partnership of nations has begun. And we stand today at a unique and extraordinary moment. The crisis in the Persian Gulf, as grave as it is, also offers a rare opportunity to move toward an historic period of cooperation. Out of these troubled times, our fifth objective, a new world order can emerge, a new era, freer from the threat of terror, stronger, in the pursuit of justice, and more secure in the quest for peace. You might want to tell them what day he gave that speech, Jesuit. Oh, it was... hmm... September 11th. And of course, conspiracists have feasted on that Bush-to-Bush coincidence for the past two decades plus. But in the 1990s, Bush's phrase here, and his repeated declaration that a new world order was in the offing for the peaceful countries who joined the U.S. in opposing Iraq's invasion... And by extension... We're willing to send over forces to drive the Iraqis out of Kuwait. It's clear by context that he's talking about what amounts to a more cohesive global response to threats, led by the U.S., that would finally allow peaceful nations to prosper economically together in the wake of the collapse of the former boogeyman, i.e. the Soviet Union. His idea is that by crushing Saddam Hussein's aggression, the big players of the world can make it clear that they're not going to put up with any of these penny anti-wars of aggression from smaller states now that there was, in essence, only one superpower who, along with its allies, controlled the world stage. An optimistic humanist might say the Gulf War military coalition was formed to oppose the subjugation of an independent nation. Someone with a more cynical eye focused on economics might call this making the world safe for neoliberal foreign policies and the expansion of multinationalism capitalism in a global consumer arena. Take your pick. But it didn't matter what H.W. said, or what the heads of the nations he was addressing understood about it. What matters to us is how this phrase sounded to the anti-government stalwarts. Unavoidable conspiracy theorist and independent researcher... That was a pretty snide use of the phrase independent researcher for someone who, when you get down to it, is just an independent researcher with a podcast. Touché, unicorn. Regardless, the once indefatigable and ubiquitous Jim Mars, who until his death was certainly one of the most prolific conspiracy authors on the planet, relates one version of the conspiracy theories that immediately sprung up around Bush Sr.'s use of the phrase New World Order in his 2000 book, where he related a theory espoused by two other independent researchers. Jonathan Vankin and John Whelan, if for some reason you're keeping track. I'll spare you the details. But, of course, there's the normal sort of theorizing by unsupported juxtaposition of unrelated facts. For example, Mars notes that Bush Sr. became more belligerent in his statements about the invasion after meeting with then-PM of Britain, Maggie Thatcher, who then is immediately noted as a frequent attendee at Bilderberger meetings. 
which has nothing to do whatever with how and whether she influenced Bush's thinking on the issue. The main conspiracy theorizing, though, comes down to the idea that Bush all but gave Saddam an engraved invitation to invade, but then slapped him down as part of a big plan to blackmail the Saudis for protection money and to defend his son W's oil interests in the country of Kuwait. Or something. Honestly, none of this holds together very well. Not that it matters to anyone who believes in it. But not everyone focused on the first Gulf War as the birthplace of the New World Order. There were those who stood by the Bircher line, still strongly suspecting that this whole USSR collapse thing was one big fake-out. Yeah, it wasn't just David J. Smith and Newswatch magazine who thought the commies were going to come back heavy in the third act. But it wasn't even just right-wingers who thought Bush's nasal declaration of this new global era didn't exactly portend a future of sunshine and rainbows. Left-wing activists were quick to identify the phrase as some happy, crappy bullshit slogan for an American establishment that was eager to impose our system, especially our economics, on the rest of the world. WTO protesters, including at the famous Year 2000 battle in Seattle, would decry the ravages of the New World Order, for example. And closer to the time of the speech, anarchist punk elder statesman Jello Biafra, never one to shy away from a good quote, had this to say after Bush's speech. Even the most bush-happy, flag-suckling jackass knows deep down inside that something is wrong. America is over, and everyone knows it. The New World Order has a dying empire odor, and changing the channel ain't gonna make this go away. Wow. How amazing that we were able to get Jello himself into our humble studio to record that. Even though it sounded a little more like Fred Schneider from the B-52s, if it really comes down to it. Jello Biafra Uberalis, that's what we always say. And speaking of seminal underground rock acts of the 80s and 90s, and lest we forget, Ministry turned out an absolute slab of an anti-NWO anthem back in 92, complete with a guest verse by the then-president himself. Next, of course, the moderate Republican was replaced in 93 with a moderate Democrat. And while liberal and progressive coalitions in the Democratic Party bemoaned Clinton's willingness to adopt conservative policies on economic issues like welfare, and organized labor questioned the young president's support of NAFTA, the nascent patriot movement kicked into overdrive, sure that Bill Clinton was a stalking horse for the globalist, socialist takeover of the United States. The New World Order as a conspiracist concept is as slippery to define as any other all-encompassing, globe-spanning, world domination threat. It means different things to different people. The only thing that tie all of these nebulous concepts of the New World Order together are that it's bad, and that the Democrats are definitely behind it. Yeah, take for example, famous televangelist and occasional wannabe politician, Pat Robertson. Of 700 Club TV show fame. Per Daniel Pipes in his seminal book Conspiracy, Robertson laid it all out in his 1991 The New World Order. In it, he suggests two potential scenarios, one in which Europe takes over the U.S. by instituting a single world currency and bank to steal America's wealth. He provides evidence of this plot via the sort of bog-standard financial conspiracies that longtime listeners of this show are used to. You know, global bankers, who are definitely not stand-ins for international Jews, had Lincoln murdered, got the income tax passed, and established the evil, evil Federal Reserve. Robertson's second scenario, Pipes notes, is much uglier and ends with the standard sort of Lucifer-led one-world government under control of devil worshippers, 
yada yada. And of course, it's not only megalomaniacal TV preachers who think they have the New World Order plot dead to rights. Once again, plumbing the depths of my Kindle Unlimited subscription, I found some modern-day NWO theorists who can explain it all, as long as by it all, you don't expect any solid definitions, evidence, or specifics. The authors of Battle Hymn, Revelations of the Sinister Plan for a New World Order, for example, give us this bog-standard global takeover scenario. The journey you are about to begin will take you through myriad aspects related to the plans and deeds that are intended to create a new world order of one government, one justice system, and one religion, all under the complete control of an unelected elite. This small cabal of powerful men will rule from the shadows through selected agents, posing as political leaders who will do their bidding. They will have the ability to control populations through propaganda, fear, and if necessary force, owing to their empire over the press, the police, the politicians, the judges, and the military. Okay, but how exactly is this going to work, you might ask? I mean, how, in an age of fractured media, will any group gain total propaganda control? If the U.S. has closely contested election after election, with any victorious party governing by a razor-thin margin, how is this conspiracy going to drive us toward a unified one-world government goal? Maybe Michael Thomas Hayes has more to tell us via his post-pandemic take from Rise of the New World Order, Book Series Update and Urgent Status Report, Volume 1. We are in a bad way in terms of losing our country, and things are going to get way worse fast. This is a red alert status update, we got a very rough road ahead of us. We've got an intentionally released man-made bioweapon on one side and the empowered FEMA to deal with it and the diabolical proponents of the New World Order who released the bioweapons on the other side and there is nowhere to run unless you have a rocket ship to Mars so buckle up. Friendly warning. Parsing the grammar of that paragraph may prove fatal. One more? Yeah, probably one more. So let's hear from Ramtha, the 35,000-year-old entity channeled through human woman Jay-Z Wright. If you're blessedly unaware of this New Age scam, Ms. Knight has for more than 30 years served as a spiritual conduit for this definitely real figure she calls Ramtha, who takes over her body and relates wisdom that sounds suspiciously, these days at least, like pro-Trump, pro-QAnon blather. And lucky you, Ramtha has laid down some truth about the coming New World Order, and Dana's going to share it with all of you now. When the one world government and the idealism of the Greymen go forward full thrust and the debit card is issued upon the collapse of world monetary systems, your constitution and bill of rights will be restructured for the new world order, and what you know this day in your time will fall into antiquity. That is the plan, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will happen. Well, that's a relief. It's not necessarily going to happen. Otherwise, that sounds like a totally realistic scenario we should all be worried about. 